We're very grateful for your presence. We hope that our time together will be beneficial. We are looking tonight at Ephesians 6. Last week in our study, we were looking at Ephesians 6, specifically what Paul had to say about our Christian armor and being ready to do battle with the devil. And so we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10 in just a moment or two. I do want to say that Got a number of folks that are away tonight. I know that it's a holiday weekend and so people are traveling. Very grateful for the opportunity that we have to be together tonight. We had a good number here this morning and uh, had a lot of visitors and for that we're grateful. We have visitors tonight and we're always thankful to those of you that come our way from week to week. And if you are looking for a church home, we want to encourage you to consider the work here. I think this is a great church and what makes this church great her people, and we're very grateful for every member that belongs to the body here in Olive Branch. Tonight we want to talk for a minute or two about being battle-ready. And last week in our study we talked about our enemy in the battle, and we identified the enemy as the devil. And you remember the Apostle Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant, your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul would say, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength or power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. In our study last week, we, in our discussion of our enemy in the battle, we talked a little bit about our nemesis, that being the devil. And I said that there are two things that stand out in my mind with regard to the devil. The first is that he is a deceiver. He is identified by John in the book of Revelation in chapter 12 as the deceiver of the whole world. And he has been working deceit since the Garden of Eden. He continues to deceive the hearts and lives of people. And then not only did we talk about his deceitful nature, but the fact that the devil is destructive. Wherever he goes, he always leaves carnage in his wake. And in our study last Sunday evening, we spent some time and talked about how the devil has made inroads in our private lives. And really, as a result of his work in our private lives, it has filtered out, at least from my perspective, and this is my opinion, it has filtered out into the public arena. And so what I want us to do tonight is think a little bit more about the devil and his work in our private lives. Before I do that, I want to just share with you a couple of thoughts with regard to the nature of our battle. And then we're going to go back and look in a very specific way at the devil and his destructive work. But as we think about the nature of our battle, I want to suggest to you that it is it is a spiritual battle. We're not involved in carnal warfare, but rather we are involved in spiritual warfare. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 12. Paul said, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, when you read the writings of Paul and Peter, as I alluded to Peter a moment ago in 1 Peter chapter 5, 
Paul spends a lot of time talking about the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verses 18 through 20, he would talk about waging a good warfare. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he would talk about, about enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul would encourage Christians of all ages to fight the good fight of faith. And so we're involved in a spiritual fight. It is a spiritual fight that I would add to this thought, it is a very serious fight. The seriousness of this fight or this battle is reflected in the fact that it could ultimately cost us our soul if we lose the battle. And we don't want to lose. You know, I think about all the people that have gone to war in days gone by. And in light of that, there are many, many families that have suffered great losses, casualties of war. Sometimes we talk about casualties of war. The greatest casualty in war is spiritual, is a spiritual casualty. Because we're talking about the loss of a soul. You know, Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. And so to understand that we're involved in spiritual warfare, and it is a very serious warfare that we're engaged in on a daily basis. And by the way, it is a daily battle, isn't it? I mean, the devil is after us every single day, 24-7. He never lets up, does he? And though we may win the battle today, we understand, we know he's coming back again, just as he did with Jesus in Luke chapter 4. The devil posed temptation after temptation after temptation to Jesus. He withstood him every time. And the text tells us that the, de that the devil left him. Angels ministered unto him, but he left him until an opportune time. Now, having said that, let's go back and talk a little bit about the destructive path that the devil has welded in the world in which we live. Last week in our study, I was talking about how the devil has made inroads into our private lives, specifically in the home. And I think that you would agree with me. I made the observation last week that we often say, as the home goes, so goes the nation. Our nation is in trouble because the home is in trouble. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, listen to what Paul said. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, he makes that statement on the heels of these statements. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Where do you think children learn obedience? It's in the home, isn't it? I mean, that's the intent of God that children learn in the home to be obedient. And then know what he says in continuation, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Let me ask this question. Where do children learn to honor and respect their parents? In the home. At least, idealistically, that's God's plan. It's not God's plan for children to learn obedience or respect for parents in school, or really in the church. Now, granted, we teach in the church the importance of obedience and respect, but ultimately, that responsibility falls upon parents, doesn't it? Do you think it would be safe to say that in many respects, that we as parents, and I'm talking about in a very generic way, 
nationwide that we have not lived up to the ideals of Scripture. That as fathers, we haven't been the role model, that we haven't been the spiritual leader in the home that, that God initially asked us to be. Do you think that would be a safe conclusion? I want to call your attention to the book of Psalms for a moment. Go back and look with me at Psalm 78. I think it's very important for us to get it right in the home because if we get it right in the home and the devil has made inroads into the home, and I want to just very quickly say I appreciate and admire all of our families. And I'm very grateful for our young families and for all the young children that we have. And I'm very thankful that those of you who are mothers and fathers see the importance of bringing your children to Bible study and to worship. And I know it can be difficult wrestling with them for two hours on Sunday morning, an hour on Sunday evening, and then Wednesday night. But I applaud your efforts, and I'm grateful that you willingly bring them because you understand the importance of coming to services. So listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works which He has done. Now, God here specifically talking about the children of Israel and passing on their faith to their children. And so in verse 5, the psalmist said, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which, which He commanded our fathers. Now listen to what He says, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, we talk about the perpetuity of faith. And the ideal is that every generation te teaches successive generations. Think about Timothy, a good example. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul reminded Timothy of the genuine, the genuine faith that dwelt first in his grandmother, Lois. And then he said that same faith dwelt in his mother, Eunice. And then he went on to say that same faith dwelt in Timothy. Three generations of people. That was not by accident, was it? And so the psalmist here said, verse 7, listen to what he says. Parents and grandparents who teach and instruct their children, who talk about all the wonders of God and all the things that God has done and how blessed they have been by God. Look at verse 7 that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Could I ask you, what is your greatest dream as a parent for your child? What is it that ultimately, when it's all said and done, what is it that you hope to see your children accomplish in this life? I think I know. Ultimately, as a parent, we want our children to be in heaven, don't we? I mean, that's our goal. And that's not going to be by accident. I've asked the question before, and I think, it's a, I think it's a powerful question, not because it originated with me, 
But ask yourself, where will you spend eternity? Then ask this question. Where will your children spend eternity? In all probability, your children will spend eternity where you do. If you go to heaven, chances are very great that your children will follow in your footsteps. Now, I understand that that's not always the case, but the goal is to point our children in the direction of heaven. And then I want you to look with me, if you would, at Psalm 127 very quickly. Look at Psalm 127. We're talking about the devil making inroads into our private lives, specifically into our home lives. And listen, if you would, to what the psalmist said many years ago. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now let me just pause here for a minute. Is it possible the psalmist was on to something here? When he talked about the foundation upon which our home is to rest. And what he's saying is, if our home is going to be safe and secure and what it ought to be, it ought to be founded upon the Lord. Otherwise, we're simply building on sinking sand. Note, if you would, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. There's something to be said for our children, bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. They mean the world to us, and they ought to. And God has blessed us richly. But then look at verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Think about an ancient warrior. He's got a bow and arrow. And he's got a specific target in sight. And he draws that bow and lets the arrow go at that specific target. Well, what the psalmist is talking about here is parents. Parents who point their children in the direction of heaven. And again, that's not accidental. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of prayers. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But the goal is, again, to point our children in the direction of heaven. Last week in our study, I talked a little bit about how it's difficult to change as we grow older in life. I think all of us who are older in life, we can, we can understand that. We would agree to that. Once the concrete sets, it's tough. I mean, you just about have, just about have to have a jackhammer to break it up. Well, it may be the case that we can't change the older generation in America might be the case that we can't change the older generation in the church. Some folks are set in their ways. But it is possible to change or to teach our children preemptively so that they do not make the same mistakes as previous generations. And so I think about the great responsibility that rests upon us as parents. The responsibility that rests upon our children as future parents and grandparents. And as I think about how the devil has made inroads into the home today, 
in modern day America, and yes, even in the church, there are some practical suggestions that I think we would do well to consider in light of the state of our country, in light of the state of the church, in light of the fact that the devil has created a lot of carnage in the world in which we live. I said a moment ago that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 that we as parents are to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to begin by saying as parents, we have to instill in our children a deep and abiding respect for authority. I think it's evident that there are a lot of that there are a lot of folks in our society today, young and old alike, who have no concept of respecting authoritative figures. Where, where does respect begin? Has to begin in the home, doesn't it? At a very early age. Now we understand the importance of respecting God's Word and trying to Take God's Word and make it a part of our lives. And bowing at the feet of what God has said in His Word. As Jesus said, all power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. But as you think about respecting authority and the importance of that in the home, did you know I read just recently, on any given day, nearly 60,000 youth under the age of 18 are incarcerated in juvenile jails and prisons in the U.S. That's an amazing statistic, isn't it? Some of those youths have committed crimes that will ultimately land them behind bars for a lifetime. And you ask the question, where did it all go wrong? Is it possible? that mamas and daddies drop the ball in terms of teaching respect for authority in the home. And I would say not only teaching that, but exemplifying that in the home. In Romans chapter 13, Paul talks about or discusses the importance of being submissive to civil authorities. Do we need to teach in our country today young people to respect civil authorities? We do, don't we? And we, have, we have a crime problem in our nation. I understand that it's not just young people, but it's people of all ages and all colors. But I think in order to stem the tide, we've got to somehow go back and lay the right foundation. It begins in the home, as I said a moment ago. So teaching our young people the importance of respecting authority, respecting that in the home. And once children get in school, if they don't respect authority in school, later in life, do you think they're going to respect authority on the job? Do you think that they're going to be respectful of civil authorities? And then what about scriptural authority? So to teach them the importance of respecting authority, a second thing, this is, in, this is in no particular order. I think a second thing as parents that we need to do is teach our children to love and respect all of God's creation. 
The song that we sing, Jesus Loves Me, I think is indicative of the love that we ought to teach our children. We live in a world today that is plagued with prejudice, racial division, and discord. There is so much hatred and polarization in our nation, it is incredible. Where did all that begin? Do you not think that the devil is behind a lot of that? Let me tell you what, he is at the root of all of that. Whatever happened to seeing people as God sees people? To recognize that behind every single face is an eternal soul made in the image and the likeness of God. I don't think it was by accident that Jesus spent a lot of time teaching the importance of loving one another. Do you? When Jesus talked about how the world would know that we are His disciples by the love that we have for one another, I think He was on to something. And you remember in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment of the law? And the response was, you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment. But then he said, a second like unto it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that. Loving another human being as much as we love self. We've had far too much racial tension, discord, prejudice, and hatred in this world. And let me tell you what, the devil revels in that foolishness. He loves it. And if you look around in America today, what do you see? It's exactly what you see. It might be that, it might be that I can't I can't stop older, more mature people from hating and being prejudiced. But maybe I can reach the younger generation to see people as Jesus sees them, to recognize that every soul is precious in the eyes of God. Wasn't it the psalmist who said in Psalm 139 many centuries ago that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made? Is that not true of every nation, of every race, of every gender? Sure it is. And we talk about gender equality. God has always seen human beings as people of worth, hasn't He? He sent His Son to die for our sins. He gave us heaven's best. That says to me that there is an intrinsic worth or value in human beings. And then I would add this. Treating others as we want to be treated. That would go a long way in rectifying some of the wrongs that go on in our world. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus taught what we typically call the golden rule. Whatever you want men to do to you, do you also unto them. And you remember what he said? This is the law and the prophets. Just treating people like we want to be treated. You know, if as a nation of people, we could get young people to buy into that, and as they grow and mature in life, 
we would see a radical change in this country. Do you think theft would be a problem? Do you think lying and backstabbing would be an issue in the world in which we live? I don't think it would. We're not talking about rocket science here. Just basic, fundamental principles. So you think about teaching our young people to respect authority, to love other people, to treat others as we want to be treated. And then, let me add this, choosing the right kind of friends. The people that we associate with will ultimately help to shape our character, who we are. Do you believe that? Do you remember in Proverbs chapter 12, Solomon wrote many years ago, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. And the reason is, he said, the way of the wicked leads them astray. In chapter 13, verse 20, he said, wise people walk with wise people, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. The kind of people that we associate with and run with in life help to determine the kind of people that we become in life. What Paul taught centuries ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, still good scripture. Paul said, evil companionship corrupts good morals. As parents, we have the responsibility of trying to the best of our ability to make sure that our children are in the right kind of environment, among the right kind of people. And let me tell you what, when you talk about the church and the blessings of being associated with the church, one of the great benefits of being a part of the church is to be a part of a youth group, to be around people of like precious faith, that think like you do, act like you do, that have the same habits that you do, the same wants and desires, and hopefully and prayerfully, out of that can cultivate a lifetime of friendships. And who knows, maybe even a mate in the process. And then let me give you another suggestion. I think we've got to teach our young people to choose the right kind of entertainment. Let me tell you what, the devil has sold a bill of goods in America that is false to the core. He has ruined the minds of young and old alike through the media, television, movies, music. Now look, there are a lot of wholesome television programs. I suspect that there are some wholesome movies out there. There are good books. There are lots of good things that we can feed on. But there, there is a lot of stuff out in this world that is just filth. And as parents, we've got to somehow point our children in the direction of wholesome entertainment. An iPhone is a great, it's a great gadget, isn't it? And many of us are blessed.
because of being able to access so much information. And though there is a world of good that can come from this phone, there is a world of evil out there. As parents, you need to know what your children are doing with their phones. It's called being responsible. And as young people, it's called being accountable. And so I think about encouraging our young people to choose wholesome entertainment. Let me give you another thought. I think the time has come for us to teach the next generation, because maybe we failed in many respects in this, to teach the next generation to own up to their mistakes. Look, if you make a mistake, take ownership. There is no one perfect in this world. And all the way back in the Garden of Eden, do you remember what happened? Adam was to have been the protector of his wife. And Satan, recognizing a point of weakness, struck Mother Eve. She succumbed and then later gave Adam the fruit. He ate. He too was deceived. Transgression came into the world. And ever since, havoc has been on planet Earth. But when God approached Adam, do you remember what He said? He tried to blame Eve, didn't He? He said, the woman that you gave me Look, whether young or old, there are going to be times in life when, we, when we're weak, we're vulnerable, we're going to say and do things, we're going to do things that we're not proud of, take ownership of it. We live in a world today that wants to play the blame game. And we want to blame anything and everything, and we don't want to take responsibility for anything. How about taking responsibility and being accountable in the world? I look at more mature people in our world today and it is a crying shame that people that ought to know better try to shift the blame on someone else. Let me give you a good example of somebody who took ownership of a mistake he made in life, David. Do you remember David, Psalm 51? Called the penitential psalm. David said in the long ago, against you and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness in your sight. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan the prophet is dispatched on the scene. He tells David a parable. And in the course of their conversation, David, in a very humble way, said, I have sinned. If we make a mistake, let's just be willing to be forthright and honest and say, you know what, I messed up and move forward. And then two other things very quickly, our time's gone. To teach the younger generation that there are consequences to sin. Let me tell you what, we live in a world today that has minimized the effects of sin. And there are a lot of folks in our world today when they hear something about, when they hear something identified as sin, they laugh, they smirk. They say, there you go talking about the Bible again. Let me tell you what, sin is a reality, whether we like it or not. 
Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have minimized the effects of sin. We have, we have in many cases underestimated the consequences of sin. It's time we be straight with our young people and let them know that a life lived in sin is a life that will ultimately lead to heartache and sorrow and sadly, a loss of well-being in the next world. Listen to Paul in Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Those who sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Those who sow to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. To understand there is a payday someday. And to teach our children when they're young. that You know what? Sin can be costly. Do you remember what Solomon said, Proverbs chapter 13, the way of the transgressor is hard. Do you remember Luke 15, the prodigal son? Do you remember what Jesus had to say about that fella? Went out into the city where all the bright lights were. Thought he was going to find happiness. What did he find? Heartache and sorrow. So to remember that there are consequences to a sinful life. And then very quickly... I think we've got to teach our young people. We've got to teach them the importance of dressing modestly. Please listen. I'm very grateful for parents who teach their children the importance of modest apparel. But there are some folks in the church, and there are a lot of people in the world, that have no concept of what it means to dress modestly. Simple questions. Is it too short? Is it too tight? Is it too revealing? I, I was at an outside mall a couple of three months ago, and we were, I think we were eating at an outside mall. And there was a guy came parading down the middle of the mall I could not believe how little that guy had on. I'm talking about, it was incredulous. I looked at him, I thought, are you kidding me? This wasn't, it wasn't a, it was a male. And you would not believe the people in that mall that were looking, and, and all these young children, they're looking at this guy I assume, he did it to, I assume he did it to attract attention. And let me tell you what, he got a lot of attention. It was obscene at best. I mean, this guy, he's probably in his 40s, parading up and down the mall, must have been drunk. Had nothing on him. And I thought, man, the police ought to haul him off. I don't want to see that. I mean, I don't need to see it. And so, all I'm saying is, we've got to teach, don't we? And you can read 1 Timothy chapter 2. You can read 1 Peter chapter 3, where the Bible talks about modesty. I think about 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, where Paul talks about 
being an example of New Testament Christianity in the way we carry ourselves. And so to just be mindful that we are a distinctive people and we don't want to give the appearance that uh, we're immodest in any way. I appreciate so much your attention tonight. I do want to talk a little bit more about the inroads that the devil has made in the public realm. He made a lot of inroads in the private realm. And I guess my goal is that if we can somehow teach our younger people, teach the younger generation, principles upon which to build their lives, then things can change for the good. Hopefully and prayerfully, hopefully and prayerfully, we'll do our best as parents and grandparents. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, and you understand what the Bible teaches about sin, and you realize that you're lost in sin and you need a Savior, that Savior is Jesus Christ. He came, as John said, to be the Savior of the world. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. What would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as they did on Pentecost Day. Be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away. Let God put you in the church. And then live a distinctive life. Live a faithful life and one day be with God in heaven. If you're here tonight and you need the prayers of the church, look, we want to encourage you. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Maybe you've got sin in your life. Maybe you've got struggles. Maybe you've been dealing with some things in your life that you just need other people praying for you. As a family, we'd be happy to do that with you tonight as we stand and sing.